Matthew 24 is our passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to be reading verses 29 through 31 in the Olivet Discourse. Let's read God's Word together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The title of the message is The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look at these epic events that you prophesied about to your disciples the week of your crucifixion, we ponder your care for your disciples, for your people. We also ponder your power and consider how awesome your judgments are. And I pray, Lord God, that as we look at these scriptures, we would see how big and how awesome and how mighty and how powerful you are even more fully. I pray that we would worship you. I pray that our lives would be characterized by holiness and passion for you. Lord, help us to see you. See you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good to be here together with you, church. Looking at the Olivet Discourse here in our series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Follow Me. We're looking at Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus is really answering questions from his disciples after he had pronounced woe upon the Pharisees and the scribes and also the the nation of Israel. He was telling them that judgment was going to come upon them because they rejected him as Messiah. And we see these epic moments here where, where judgment and great distress is going to come upon the people of Israel. And we also see Jesus talking about not just the times immediately after His death and resurrection and ascension, but also He's looking ahead and prophesying about His return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Matthew chapter 24 has really both elements within it. Jesus is prophesying events in the immediate that's going to happen within the next 35 years in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was left desolate through the judgments of God, just as Jesus prophesies about here in Matthew 24. But this also in Matthew 24 is about not just the great distress 
of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's also about the, the distresses and the tribulations that are going to characterize the last days as a whole. The, the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the temple are, are a great distress in the midst of many tribulations during the last days as we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2.17 in the passage of Scripture that Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. And when asking the question, you know, what what... What is this experience here on the day of Pentecost at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Peter quotes the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 where it says that in the last days, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And we see that the last days in Scripture are the days from the time Jesus ascends to the time He returns at the second coming. In fact, John, 1 John 2, we looked at last week, the Apostle John, who also was the author of the book Revelation, wrote that, dear children, this is the last hour. There's an urgency to the end times, the last days, and this time period from the time where Jesus ascends to the time where he returns are called the last days in scripture and jesus is really talking about here in the olivet discourse what the last days are going to look at in the immediate with the great distress or great tribulation of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of jerusalem in 70 a.d but also not exclusively about that he's also talking about the time of his return and that's what we're looking at here in Matthew chapter 29 through 31. This passage of scripture is just awesome and I was really moved studying it this week. And so we're going to look at a number of passages of scripture that touch in on this one here. And so once you have your Bibles, your phones ready, just we're going to be looking at a number of passages as we mine out and exposit this passage and, and discern and experience all that God desires for us to have this morning. And so going to look at three points. The first one is this, the heavens will be shaken. The heavens will be shaken. Secondly, they will see him coming. They will see him coming. And then thirdly, his elect will be gathered. His elect will be gathered. Let's look firstly at the heavens will be shaken. Let's look at verse 29 together here. We read, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This time here, which in its context here is talking about if you remember last week, we looked at that during the, the last days, there's going to be many false messiahs that are going, come, are going to come and say, hey, I'm the Christ. And Jesus says, listen, stay away from them. Don't listen to them. And, 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 and he's saying, look, in verse 26, if they say, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's talking here about the second coming of Jesus Christ here in 29, the, the tribulation of those days. It's talking about that, that there's actually going to be just earth-shattering, 
cataclysmic events through which all of creation is going to be radically transformed at the return of Christ. When Christ comes back, the final judgment, he's going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. But before that happens, the the old heavens and the old earth are going to be completely destroyed by fire. And Jesus is prophesying about that here, talking about that the signs of the times are going to be marked by the sun being dark and the moon not giving its light and stars are going to fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is how epic the return of Jesus Christ is on the day of judgment. It's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be loud. It's going to be unmistakable. It's going to be visible. And brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of awesome judgment. We see this throughout the entire scriptures that when God moves in great acts of judgment, we see this dynamic where the, the sun is, is darkened. We saw this in Exodus chapter 10 when God brought judgment on the nation of Egypt and there was darkness that came on the land for three days, a darkness that could be felt. The sun which the Egyptians worshipped was completely blocked and God's showing that, listen, I am sovereign. I am the creator of the sun that you worship. I am ruler of all. Turn to me and believe in me. And I'll just prove it to you by shutting the sun off for three days and causing darkness to cover over the land. This happened in Exodus chapter 10. We see also just, just epic moments in the heavens, at the birth of Christ, signaling the coming of our Lord Jesus, the birth of baby Jesus. And we also see at the cross of Christ, when Christ is crucified, there's, it's really moved by this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. There's a description of what takes place at the death of Jesus from the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. You're talking about noontime, and then it just gets completely dark. The darkness symbolizes the time of judgment that God is bringing about at that time. And we also see in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, that what Jesus prophesies here about in Matthew 24, about the, the sun being darkened, is also prophesied about in Acts chapter 2, that the, the sun's going to be darkened and the moon is going to turn to the color of blood. But here we also see the moon's not going to give its light. The stars are going to fall from heaven at the second coming of Jesus Christ, where the great and final judgment is going to come to pass. And it's a day that Second Peter talks about in Second Peter chapter 3. And so if you could look in Second Peter 3 with me, I want to just look at God's Word and be just built up as we look at the Scriptures this morning. Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 3. Read with me. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. There's a reference here to the judgment or the destruction of the entire earth through water during the flood, during the days of Noah. And by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is an important verse in relation to what Jesus is prophesying about here in Matthew 24 because we see that the day of judgment is also synonymous with the destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8 of Second Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Look at the, the heart, the compassionate heart of God. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the desirous will of God where He desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This heart of compassion for God. There's this this time period here where some are counting Him slow and starting to doubt the promise of His coming. The Apostle Peter saying, listen, no, God is patient with the world. He's compassionate. And brothers and sisters, on a passage that's talking about His great judgment, it's important for us to pause and take stock of God's heart of compassion on lost sinners and His patience with all of us and His patience with us. I heard a sermon a while back um, at a conference where a well-known preacher just said that if God wasn't patient and came back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, many of you in this audience would be going to hell. And I remember just this gasp over the congregation as we just contemplated the mercy of God in our lives. Just how patient has he been with each one of us here. His Patience, brothers and sisters, is the reason we're sitting here this morning, isn't it? His amazing grace, his patience. I've said this to myself a lot. I, I would have given up on myself a long time ago, but God has never given up. He keeps on coming and keeps on searching for the lost sheep, and he reached this lost sheep. I'm so thankful for his patience that, and his kindness that led me to repentance. Aren't you? Verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord, there it is, the day of the Lord, you're going to see the day of judgment, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And here's this suddenness, like the flash of lightning. It's a, a sudden and visible appearing, appearing. And we're going to look at this over the next number of weeks. There's a number of parables that deal with this will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. It's an awesome phrase of how loud it's going to be, and how epic it's going to be. 
at the final judgment. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So this day is coming, and Jesus is prophesying about it here in Matthew chapter 24, 24 verse 29. And, and there's an application Second Peter 3 has, which I think is very fitting for all of us right now in verse 11. Look at this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness? And godliness. Waiting for, and this is an amazing phrase, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, brothers and sisters, I believe Second Peter 3 is talking about in detail what Jesus is prophesying about here in Matthew 24, 29, that after the tribulation of those days and the last days, the sun's going to be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This really is, you know, not surprising. When you look at Romans chapter 8 and you think about just the description in Romans 8, do you remember this? I, I'm, I'm really affected by Romans 8 in verse 18. The Word of God says this. And just keep trying to flip as fast as you can to these passages and read them along with me because I think they're so vital. Talking about future glory, the Apostle Paul writes... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, again, this present time, these last days are going to be marked by times of sufferings and philipsis, or that distresses and great distresses, tribulations, present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Look at verse 19 of Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is an awesome passage. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The fall has so radically corrupted creation that everything that we see out here, as beautiful as it all is, and I think about this a lot as I look at just the beauty of creation and the beauty of a sunset, or I love driving uh, just past uh, the hill that goes past Blue Marsh and just looking at just, just one little tiny lake and it's just epic and beautiful and vast and just like, wow! And it's just a tiny little thing. And it, but it's fallen. What is the beauty of the new heavens and new earth going to look like when all this is subjected to futility? It's, it's longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption that was caused by our sinfulness and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's going to be a freedom 
that the creation experiences with the new heavens and new earth have when righteousness dwells. It's going to be glory unlike you have ever seen in your most pristine and most beautiful moment looking at God's creation here in this fallen world. Verse 22 of Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Again, there's this reference to to birth pains. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons. So we've been saved, but we're also eagerly longing for the day when our salvation is fully and climactically realized when Christ comes back. And it's going to change everything. We're going to be changed, and the creation is going to experience redemption as well. It's going to be recreated. It's going to be destroyed by fire, but then it's going to be gloriously and miraculously recreated by God to be more beautiful. This new heavens and new earth is going to be And we're going to enjoy it forever. This just absolutely blows away the idea, the thought of heaven being boring. If you ever have that thought, just get it out of your mind. It's going to be so glorious. It's going to be like an epic adventure that never ends. Heaven's going to be so awesome that when we've been there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We're going to be thinking, man, how little of it we've seen. And I'm so glad that not only do I have another 10,000, but I've got 10,000 ages and it'll only still be just beginning. I can't wait to get to heaven. And in scripture, heaven is synonymous with the new heavens and new earth. It's heaven's not going to be just, you're you're up on this cloud playing a harp and you're like, man, I, I, I love this, but it's, it's starting to get boring now because I've been singing for half an hour. My fingers are getting tired. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be awesome when the creation is set free from the bondage to this futility of the fall that it's currently under and it's it's groaning creation's groaning and we see as the end comes there's going to be great cataclysmic judgment in the earth shattering events that jesus is talking about here are going to usher forth the final return of christ it's going to be just awesome and epic and loud and brothers and sisters this is going to be the day of our redemption but the day of creation's redemption as well. I can't wait. Can't wait to experience that together with you. And you know what? For us, it's going to be a day of great joy. You know why? The darkness is going to come. The sun's not going to give its light when God comes back, and it's going to be an awesome day and a terrifying day of judgment. When you read passages like Isaiah 13, Isaiah 34, 4, listen to this phrase, the skies will be rolled up like a scroll. Do you remember we sung that today? It is well with my soul. Do you wonder where that phrase comes from? When the skies and the clouds shall be rolled back like a scroll, it comes from Isaiah 34, 4, and is also a subsequent phrase in the book of Revelation about the skies being rolled up like a scroll. It's going to happen. The day of judgment is going to be a day 
of darkness and great destruction on the ungodly. In fact, Amos chapter 5 actually says, listen, what are those of you who are saying you're longing for the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness, not light. And he's talking there about unrepentant individuals who are saying, man, I just want the day of judgment to come. No, if you are unrepentant and you do not have Christ, you don't want the day of judgment to come. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be frightening, terrifying indeed, for those who are unrepentant and have not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so, for those of you who have not yet done that, would you please do that? As Josh shared at the ministry mic this morning, please be reconciled to God. We, we appeal to you. Be reconciled to God while there's still time. Because the day is coming when Jesus comes and the day of judgment comes, it will be too late to turn to the Lord at that time. And it's going to be terrifying, not just in that moment, but there's going to be great judgment that falls upon unbelievers on this day. You know why that day is not going to be terrifying for us? Because at the cross, the sun also grew dark. Twelve noon, three p.m., it got so dark. Do you know why? Because the sun growing dark, symbolizing the judgment and the wrath and the justice of God, coming against your sins and mine didn't come upon us. But it came upon our precious substitute, Jesus Christ, who hung up on that cross and screamed out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, because it was my sin that was holding him up there. And the darkness symbolizes God's wrath against the sins that I've loved committing and the sins you've loved committing, which we would have had to endure eternal darkness forever in hell had Jesus not in love gone and hung on that cross for you and for me. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But when judgment comes, there's cataclysmic earth-shattering events that rock creation and will radically transform it at the return of Christ. And what kind of people ought we to be? Living our lives in holiness and godliness. Church, we are called to be a holy people. Come out from them and be separate. We are to look distinct from the world. Our lives are to be marked by godliness and the fear of the Lord and awaiting this coming judgment. Ready with lives of holiness and fear. And not living like this world that lives in the passionate lust of the heathen who do not know God. No, those days are over for the true Christian. We turn away from those things and we we put our hand to the plow and we don't look back and we say, I'm going to follow Christ and my life is going to be marked by holiness 
and godliness. And that doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with indwelling sin. We do. But what it means is a true Christian no longer lives in sin. We've broken from our old life. Have you broken from your old life in repentance? Is your life, dear friend, marked by the holiness befitting the events that Jesus is prophesying about here in Matthew 24? Are you a godly man? A godly young man? Are you a godly woman, ladies? A a godly young woman, girls? There should be a passion for godliness and a passion for holiness that marks our lives. And ever increasingly as the day of judgment approaches, that's why Hebrews 3 says, let's encourage one another as long as it is called today. And all the more as we see the day, capital D, day of judgment approaching. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God give us these kinds of lives for his glory. Point two. They will see him coming. So first we looked at the heavens will be shaken. Secondly, they will see him coming. Let's look at verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, Scripture is very clear. And we saw it last week in verse 27, for as Jesus prophesying, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is going to be dramatic and epic and visible to everybody as Jesus comes back in the clouds of heaven. It's, it, and, and the context here, what Jesus is touching in on is people are going to try to pull you aside in secret and say, hey, let me show you a secret room where the Messiah is at. He's like, listen, there's no secret when I come back. Everybody's going to know I'm there. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And Revelation 1-7 is a passage of scripture that many of you may know. And uh, if you could look there with me together. Revelation 1, verse 7, says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This wailing, Jesus actually describes it here as all the tribes of the earth will mourn. It's believed that this is not a mourning of repentance. Like when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, who mourn their sin, the the true children of God who mourn and grieve over their sin and say, God, I'm so sorry for my sin. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And, And amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me and the, the good spirit filled mourning of a repentant individual. This is mourning out of despair. This is wailing out of great fear. Because of just the awesomeness of the return of the risen Christ. Christ. 
every eye is going to see him. That same phrase in Revelation 1-7 is also prophesied in Zechariah 12 verse 10. That same phrase, every eye is going to see him. And in this reference, it's, it's, it's awesome that it's referenced in Zechariah 12. This is a great prophecy about Jesus. It says, even those who pierced him. So this piercing is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which Jesus is going to experience this week as he's in this immediate context prophesying to the disciples. And Jesus is saying, when I come back, it's going to be with great power and glory. Everybody's going to see me. There's going to be no secretive thing about it. And the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. It's it's interesting here that this uh, phrase, the, the sign... Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And, and in Matthew chapter 26, it's, it's, it's powerful. But when Pilate is actually questioning Jesus, Jesus actually talks about that from now on you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. Actually, he's testifying there before Caiaphas and the council. And he's saying, when they're asking him, are you the Christ? And he's saying, yeah, you've said so. And I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's telling them, just a couple of chapters from now, he's prophesying to his disciples and he's also telling Caiaphas and the leaders, the next time you see me, I'm not going to be hanging on a cross. I'm coming back with power. And you're going to behold the one you've pierced and you are going to mourn because the day of judgment is going to be so awesome and epic when I come back. And Revelation talks about this. We've kind of touched in on this a number of times, church, that they're going to actually call on the mountains to fall upon them because it is so terrifying when Christ comes back and Jesus is seen as the rider on the white horse who comes back faithful and true and He's actually going to deal out wrath and justice upon all those who have rejected him. One Christian writing about this verse here says that the nations who have heard the gospel preached to them realize that they've rejected Jesus and they didn't believe in him. And they also persecuted Christ and his followers and thinking no judgment is going to come upon us. We are going to treat these Christians the way we want to treat them. And where is the promise of his coming? And they are going to be in the midst of acting out wickedness when that trumpet comes. And when that trumpet blasts and these judgments come, all the nations who are not of God's elect are going to mourn and they are going to wail because the judgment is going to be so severe and so great. You know, there's that phrase, and I think it's really true when it comes to the last days, that it's always darkest right before the dawn. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. I, I talked about this last week. It's going to get darker and darker and darker these times. But the light of the gospel is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter through his true church. And the gospel is going to go forth to the nations through his true church, even as the times grow darker and darker and darker. And if it would be any longer, the church would just be in a place of thinking, Oh, Lord, I don't think we could hang out, hang on one second more. 
and then Christ is going to come. <laughs> I can't help it here. I got to talk just a little bit about what J.R.R. Tolkien talked about in the Lord of the Rings as the U catastrophe. What is so epic and awesome about this is Tolkien believed that we shouldn't just have a word in the dictionary for catastrophe. He believed that we should also have a word in the dictionary called the U catastrophe. The catastrophe is when everything's kind of going good and then everything all of a sudden just goes, yeah. It gets worse and epically worse. A U catastrophe is when everything's getting darker and darker and darker and the church is holding on, holding on, hanging on, thinking we're hanging on by a thread here. I don't think we can endure one hour more and then Christ comes back and it's epic and brilliant and, and the sun shines. And, and brothers and sisters, when he comes back, it's going to be a U catastrophe. Everything that was bad turns suddenly to good and all those who were unrepentant will be judged and God's elect will be gathered and will enjoy Jesus forever. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a you catastrophe. It's going to be a catastrophe, though, for those who reject Christ. It's going to be a you catastrophe for those of us who, by God's grace, are his elect and who have repented of our sins and trusted in him and have had our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that you catastrophe thing awesome? I mean, I can't, I can't watch Two Towers and watch Gandalf show up on the hill and not think, oh man, church, when we're, I want us to ride out like Theoden's ride and ride out like Aragorn and just ride down and let's do our very best to advance this gospel in these dark days. Let's hang on. Let's be strong. Let's be holy. Let's be godly. Let's rise up. Let's go forth and preach the gospel. Let's do our very best for God. But as we're getting beaten down and persecuted and it's getting darker and darker, don't forget who's coming up over the mountain. Don't forget he's coming. And don't live for this world, but live for the one who's coming. It's going to be awesome. Don't give up. Hang on. Hang in there. Let's hang in there together, church. Let's keep fighting all the way until the final day. This description from Jesus in Matthew 24, you know what I love about it? then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. For those of you who struggle with doubts, listen to Jesus' words carefully. This is going to happen. There's no doubt about this. Let this minister and comfort you and calm your doubts. Remove your doubts. There's a certainty to the second coming of Christ. Jesus is prophesying about it, and there's just no if, ands, or buts about it. It's happening. And this is meant to fill our hearts with great joy. This description here, the Son of Man, likens unto Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where Daniel prophesies one like a son of man. I, I can't resist. I've got to go to Daniel 7. Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. When he comes back, 
It's on a white horse. It's epic, and he is going to bring epic destruction and judgment. He is going to set up his kingdom to rule forever and ever and ever. The new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven from God. Christ is going to reign on his throne forever and ever and ever, and all darkness will be epically crushed. And we will never, ever weep again. Because this fallen world and the old way of things are gone forever behind us. And there will be no more philipsis or distress, great or small, because we will be enjoying the Lord forever. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait to be there with you. Third and final point. His elect will be gathered. His elect will be gathered. Let's read verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. (sighs) The contrast between the mourning of the nations who rejected him and the happy prospect of his elect being gathered. There's this this personal note here of God sending his angels as what Revelation describes them as, as reapers. They're going to reap for God. We see this in the parables as well where The angels are reapers. They're those who gather in the harvest on the day of judgment. And just the thought, oh, friends, just you got to think about this. This is going to happen. He's going to send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Again, loud. And they will gather his elect From the four winds. This description from the four winds is Old Testament and new. A description of all four points on the compass. North, south, east, and west. They're all going to be gathered together. Every tribe, every tongue is going to mourn those who are dressed in their own righteousness alone. It's not going to be enough. But for God's elect who have been clothed by his grace with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself and are declared righteous, are his people, his adopted sons and daughters. And here Jesus actually uses the word his elect. It's not going to be a day of mourning. It's going to be a day of great, epic joy. Don't be ashamed of the word elect. For those of you who have trusted in Christ and repented of your sins... That is what you are. Scripture's never ashamed of that word. You know what it's meant to do? Once again, to breathe certainty and assurance of salvation into your soul, believer. And I pray that God would do just that in your soul this morning. His elect are going to be gathered. The trumpet is going to sound and the angels are going to be dispersed. Uh, his elect are going to be gathered. Uh, that means you, believer, that means you're going to be gathered. 
I, I, I can't resist this. First Thessalonians chapter four, turn there with me. It's a great, great passage of scripture. I'll keep this one close by. Awesome, awesome, awesome. First Thessalonians four, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That means those who have died and were buried or cremated or whatever. Those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so it's going to be those who are alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 16 is awesome. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Oh, there he is. With the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. There's the trumpet again. And let's not forget, loud trumpet. (laughs) And the dead in Christ will rise first. I think that's awesome. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to arise and meet the Lord in the air as he's coming back to bring this judgment. And then, look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead in Christ, they're going to beat us there, but we're going to be right behind them if we're left left here with, with us as a church. If we're left here, the church who have gone to be with the Lord, who are absent from the body but present with the Lord right now, they are going to be reunited with their bodies as all of creation is experiencing this recreation at the day of judgment. The dead bodies are going to be reunited with the spirits who are present with the Lord right now. And those who are alive, who are serving the Lord on the earth, who are his elect. The only thing that will beat them there is those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The dead in Christ and those who also are here at the return of Christ, who are caught up together. This is a phrase, you know, you get this rapture up. And what the image is here, this is so awesome. When we think about the phrase in Corinthians of the triumphal procession of Jesus Christ, you got to get this. This is awesome. This just affects me every time I think of it. It, it's patterned that the Roman triumph is an image that's patterned after this thought. It's the idea of a conquering king coming back to the city after he's conquered and, and, and taken care of dealing out judgment and retribution on the nations. What they would do is the, the emperors would gather all of the, a sampling of the nations that they conquered and there would be this great parade of the, the Roman conquering generals coming back into the city. There was an image there of about a mile out that Everybody would go out of the city to meet the returning conqueror. They would go out and, and they would march into the city together. There would be great pomp and triumph of, of here is the conquering king who has conquered over all of his enemies. 
And brothers and sisters, the image here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is all that. Those little parades are going to be nothing like this epic parade when Jesus comes back and the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. There's an image here of Jesus Christ, the conquering king, coming back and all the dead in Christ rising as the angels are gathering his elect from the four winds and gathering them up together. And we right behind them, if Jesus came back tomorrow, we would be amongst those who hadn't fallen asleep yet in the Lord being gathered together with the dead in Christ who were elect. We who are alive, who are elect going out of the city to greet the coming King as he's coming back. To bring justice upon the unrepentant nations. And finally and climactically setting up forever his reign in the New Jerusalem. Which will be in, I believe the New Jerusalem is going to be the capital city of the new heavens and new earth. And Christ is going to reign from his throne. And we are going to be gathered to meet the Lord in the air. And we, that's why scripture says we're always being led in triumphal procession. Friends, do not forget, this is a happy ending. This battle that you're in right now is a happy ending if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it's not going to be a happy ending. But when Christ comes back with this great and epic judgment, brothers and sisters, you want to make sure that you're in Him found. That you're not dressed in your own righteousness, but you're dressed in His righteousness alone so that you'll be faultless to stand before His throne. Is it true about you that on Christ, the solid rock, you stand? Because it is true that all other ground is sinking sand. Your good works are described in Isaiah as filthy rags. Are you dressed in Christ's righteousness alone? Are you ready for the return, the epic return of Jesus Christ? I can't wait to hear that trumpet. I can't wait. I just, just think about this. You see this all throughout scripture, this reference to angels gathering God's elect. It's such a glorious thought of an angel coming to get you, to take you to meet the glorious returning, conquering king, the return of the king. Oh, brothers and sisters. It's going to be an awesome day. And I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of it. 1 Thessalonians 4 admonishes us, encourage one another with these words. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In 2 Timothy, I want to just close with 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, if I can have the worship band return.
start with verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, Paul said. I have kept the faith. And look at where he anchors in verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Christian loves Christ's appearing. Unlike the lost who are terrified and mourn at it, we long for it. We eagerly await our adoption as sons, Scripture says. We are to love his appearing. We are to await the Lord. And isn't it amazing that we who formerly were objects of wrath in Ephesians chapter 2, not only are we forgiven, not only are we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, those of us who are God's elect, salvation would be enough, brothers and sisters. But isn't it amazing that the Apostle Paul actually talks about that there's a, a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who, has, who have loved his appearing. There's actually a crown of righteousness that will be awarded to us. We who once were called the far away ones have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only are we forgiven, not only are we saved, but we are objects of his affection in such a way that when he returns, he's actually going to bring crowns of righteousness to award to you and award to me, all of us who have longed for his appearing. Brothers and sisters, this is just awesome. And may we encourage one another regularly in this church with the thought of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the final judgment. May, us, may we remember to live for Jesus, the righteous judge, and remember that he's going to award to us on that final day the crown of righteousness to all who have longed for, who have loved his appearing. Let us stand now and close and worship and sing songs of gratefulness and praise to our awesome God who sent His Son to die on the cross for sinners and had the just judgment that we deserve and the punishment and wrath that we deserve, the darkness of judgment that we deserve came upon His Son instead of us. And now He has made us His very own, His adopted sons and daughters by grace, His very elect who on the great day of judgment when the trumpet sounds, angels are going to come and gather all of us together from the four winds, from every tribe and tongue. There'll be representatives, as as Tom read earlier in worship. We're all going to be gathered together to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We have much to praise God for, much to worship Him for. And brothers and sisters, oh, may we grow in our longing for His appearing, of loving His appearing. May the holiness of our lives only increase in the days to come. May our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ only deepen 
as the days go by. And let us let the Lord know through our singing right now how grateful we are for what a Savior He is and how awesome of a God He is. Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Let's sing. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, and I close with this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It's going to be a day of great joy for us. Blameless and faultless to stand before the throne. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, can we give thanks to Jesus for doing all that he's done? We can't wait for you to come back. We can't wait for you to come back. We're longing for you to come back, Jesus. We're waiting here for you. Oh, Lord. We love you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Have a great day, church. What an awesome God, wonderful Savior.